Reading Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Luke 23. When they came to a place called the school, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in, heaven, in paradise. A reading from John 19. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shebachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke twenty-three forty-five 45-46 For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Well, what a narrative that is. Those were the words of the most well-known prophecy from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, that spoke of the suffering servant, the Messiah who would come, who would bear our iniquities. And then those were the last seven statements of Jesus, final seven statements of Jesus from the cross, and together they provide the narrative that we speak of when we refer to the passion of Christ. Grateful for the volunteers we had tonight to help out with that reading. You know, if you're to talk about kind of like the Mount Everest of Christianity, 
you would start with the place of the skull, Golgotha, as it's called, or Mount Calvary in Latin. That is the centerpiece of Christianity. It's the place where everything else wraps around. It's the cross of Christ. We come together and we celebrate Good Friday. It certainly wasn't a celebratory day. It was a horrific day. But it's a celebratory day for us as we get to remember what Christ has done for us and then celebrate communion together as families today. It was on Mount Calvary that the Son of God was nailed to these two trees, symbolized now by crosses that we see, but it would have been two beams, one vertical beam, and then one horizontal beam in which Jesus was nailed in order to forgive you and me. If you want to know how to live, begin by looking at the cross. It's the center of Christianity. If you want to know how to forgive, you begin by looking at the cross. If you want to know what kind of value you have to God, begin by looking at the cross. If you'd like to found your life with a deep understanding of hating what is evil and clinging to what is good, look at the cross. Dwell on the cross often. Consider what Christ did for you personally, for this is the centerpiece of our faith. It's the target around which everything else is wrapped in the Christian life. And just as Christ's cross has this vertical beam, once again, that reconciles us to God or redeems us to God, so also there's this horizontal beam that is symbolizing the reconciliation that we have toward one another in community. Let's just talk about these two beams as we consider the cross here tonight and what Christ accomplished for our benefit. It's from the vertical beam that we are redeemed by God. When you look at the vertical beam of the cross, I pray that you would remember this is saying you were purchased by the blood of Christ. You've been redeemed by God. Your sins have been paid for. They've been purchased. The big theological word that we use for this, at least in theological circles, is penal substitutionary atonement. Three big words. Maybe you would say that at home with me right now. Penal substitutionary atonement. You may not remember that phrase, but it's got deep theological meaning for us. It's what Christ accomplished when he fulfilled Isaiah 53 and he bore our iniquities. It's that he was the penalty. The first one is penal. He's the penalty for our sin. Our sins have a penalty before a holy and righteous God. And that penalty must be paid by someone. Substitutionary is this idea that Christ came as a substitute for us. While we deserved a penalty for our sins, Jesus went to the cross and he said, I will take each and every one. And he becomes both the justifier and the judge at yet the same time as he substitutes himself for us for our transgressions. And then the word atonement has this idea of being reconciled to God as the price for our sin has been paid. 
As Jesus ransoms us, pays for our sin, we are atoned and reconciled unto God. This is what we remember on Good Friday. It's like, it's a big deal. Jesus didn't come to give us our best life now. He didn't come to give us health and wealth and happiness all the time. If he just came for that, no one would have crucified him, would they? No one would have ever crucified anyone for coming to bring health and wealth and, and some consumeristic religious goods to people. No, it's not that at all. They crucified him because he offered to pay for sins, offered to forgive sins. He said humanity was in a dark, dark place, and it still is. And then he said, I am the one who can atone for sins as I go up on the cross. It was for this reason, offering to pay for sins and claiming to be God, that they crucified him. Listen once again to this passage that we read, these two verses anyway from Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It says, surely he, this is speaking of the suffering servant, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. And we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Friends, if you have your Bible open right now at home, or if you're looking this up on the YouVersion app, I would highlight that last verse. By his wounds, by the blood of Christ, by the pain of Christ, you and I are healed. This is what it actually took to redeem us from our transgressions. It took someone coming in and paying a penalty for us in order to bring us to God. What we look at when we see the cross is both God's perfect standard of holiness, that God is completely holy, and in his holiness, in his righteousness, he is unwilling to look at my sin. He hates it. And yet, in his love, he sends his son to pay for it. And at the crucible of the cross... As these two beams come together, there you see love and holiness embrace one another at the cross, and God's holiness is preserved even as his love is preserved, and he comes for you and me to purchase us by his blood and to bring us to him. You know, the most brutal thing about the cross for Jesus, it wasn't the crown of thorns, it wasn't the whipping, it wasn't the nails, it wasn't the spear, it was the separation from his father. The father and the son had this eternal relationship that was so deep and so rich, and you hear it as we heard those readings from the cross just now. He says at the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The greatest brutality that Jesus experienced was being separated far from his father, but he was willing to do that for you. And sometimes we speak about this and we say, uh, we talk about it in such a way that it almost seems like the father is abusing the son. It's not that at all. 
It's that the Father and the Son devised this plan together before the foundations of the world that they saw you and I would fall into sin, and they devised a plan that would include the grief of the Son and the grief of the Father at the same time. Maybe you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, and at the very end of the movie, there's this incredible scene where this teardrop falls from heaven. And that's what I envisioned from the Father as Jesus was crucified, this beautiful teardrop falling from heaven and splashing around the site of the crucifixion because it grieved the Father's heart to see his son suffer. But the Father and the Son and the Spirit were willing to be separated from one another, that the Father would turn his back on the Son such that he would never turn his back on you. That's Good Friday. That he would turn his face from his son such that he would never turn his face from you no matter how you may have failed I, I recognize that we don't talk in these theological terms very much and so many of us aren't familiar with this idea of penal substitutionary atonement and it's big theology and sometimes it doesn't make sense so maybe a little illustration will help um, when my family and I moved to Kearney about uh, four and a half years ago, shortly after we moved here, and I've shared this story once before, so forgive me if you remember it, but uh, we moved here and quickly got into a wonderful life group and started developing friendships well with those folks, and probably six or eight months after we moved here, we got invited over to one of these life group families' homes for dinner. Wonderful act of fellowship to us. They invited us into their home, and we enjoyed a wonderful meal together with them. And it was so nice that I wanted to thank them as I backed my car out of their driveway and hit their mailbox and knocked it over. And uh, I would like to say it was one of those little mailbox posts that was a four inch by four inch cedar post. But no, it was one of those three foot by three foot brick blocks, these pillars. And I backed into it fast enough to knock the whole thing onto their street and you see this big mess on the street and a big piece of it is still in place and I'm trying to lift it up and there's no chance I'm way in over my head and I offer to my friend I'll try to fix it for you if you'd like and he wisely said no and I said well of course I'll pay for this but my friend went on to talk to his insurance and say you know, could this be covered by insurance? And fortunately for me, it was covered by insurance. But the point is, there on the ground in the middle of the street were all these broken bricks and this pillar that had fallen down, and it couldn't just be left there, could it? It had to be cleaned up. And I didn't have the ability to clean it up. It was way beyond my pay grade. And so somehow it had to be done by someone else, or I'd have to pay for it, but it was, again, beyond my ability. And such it is with all of our sins. They're laying like broken bricks on the street, and we have no means, no ability to pick up the pieces of our lust and our greed and our lying and our envy and our pride and our resentment, and our bitterness, and our gossip, and all the rest. We have no ability to clean it up, and so God provides his Son, who comes in, the righteous one, for our mess, in order to bear that and pay the price. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities by his wounds. Write it down and lock it in. By his wounds, you are healed. And after he did that, he breathed his last and he said, it is finished. Friends, the, the, central, the centrality of the cross changes everything. It changes our relationship with God vertically. It redeems us so we can have a relationship with God. But like a rock that is thrown into a pond and its ripples extend out to the very far edges of the pond, so also it extends out to all of our relationships. And from the horizontal beam of the cross, we are reconciled to community. From the horizontal beam of the cross, we are reconciled to community. God is concerned with our relationships with one another. And so he reconciles us into community with each other. You know, the digital age has not led to deep relationships, has it? It's led to hundreds and sometimes thousands of superficial relationships. We're more connected than we ever have been, but we don't feel deeply rooted in relationships like we long to feel deeply rooted in relationships. I know that's ironic that you would hear that from a computer screen right now, but we're doing the very best that we can with the situation that is at hand, and we're grateful for the technology that we have, but even as we use it, don't you ache for something more? Don't you long for the closeness of a touch? Don't you long for the closeness of real community in which we are wrapped close together because we are united at a deep level and we would touch one another? It's incredible to me that Jesus even was thinking about community for people he, he loved while he was on the cross being crucified. Again, you've heard this already, but this is John 19, verses 26 and 27. And uh, such a beautiful portrait of Jesus. When Jesus saw his mother there, he's on the cross and he sees his mother there. And he sees the disciple whom he loved. Uh, this is John, the evangelist. And you remember the other 11 disciples all fled at the hour of Jesus' need. But John the Evangelist was there at the cross along with Mary, Jesus' mother, and Mary Magdalene and a couple other women. They were the only ones that were faithful to Jesus at the very end. And when Jesus saw his mother, who was about to be left alone, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I, I, Jesus is just the best. We, we, we got to spend time with him to understand this kind of love from him. He's providing for his mother and for his friend even as he is being tortured in the worst possible way. It's um, surprising to say this, but we learn about community from a man who was never married. We learn about community from a man who quite possibly never had a home. We learn about community from a man who was abandoned by his closest friends at his hour of greatest need. We learn about community from a man 
who was crucified in the most shameful, despicable way and still offered forgiveness to those who did it. He still sought to bring them into his fold. And after he restored his disciples, he sent them out to do his work in the world. He wasn't done with them, even though they had abandoned him at his place of need. This is the one that we learn about community from. You see, it's the blood of Christ that's able to establish the beloved community. It's the blood of Christ that's able to unite us amidst all of our diversity in the church. And we are scattered over so many different places right now. And even in your family, I'm sure, there's so much diversity in your family. But it's the blood of Christ coursing through your veins and, f- and through your child's veins and coursing through your mother's veins, your father's or your friend's veins that unites us together even in a way that family bonds sometimes will not unite us together. This is the beloved community that Jesus wants to develop, to be united across all of our diversity as a church and all of our places by the blood of Christ. You see, the metaphors that the Bible gives us for the church are things like this. We are a flock, and there's many different sheep in a flock, different abilities, different colors, different textures, but there's one shepherd. And we are a family, and there's many different kinds of people in a family, but there's one Father God over our family. And we are a church with all different kinds of people, but there's one high priest who is Jesus over our church, and we're a body with arms and legs and organs and all the different parts that make up the body, but there is one head who is Christ over it all, and he's the one who's able to unite us together in spite of all of our differences. You see, most people today make their friendships on the basis of superficial things. Political affiliation, Um, common interests, buy the same products, root for the same sports teams, and that's all okay. But when Jesus came, he said the most ragtag group of people could come together into the beloved community because the thing that unites us is a mutual faith in the cross of Christ and his body, his blood, given up for you and me that would bring us together enable us to forgive each other enable us to bear with one another enable us to be there for each other even in this our hour of need this is the cross of Christ the vertical beam redeems us with God the horizontal beam reconciles us to one another Jesus gave this beautiful feast to us, his followers, so that we would remember his death and also we would remember that we are part of his fellowship. And we're going to celebrate it in just a moment here together. But this feast, yeah, you really have to remember, Jesus invited his close friends to him for this meal. And the way they did it back in the Middle East is not much different than the way we would do it here When you bring a friend into your house for a dinner, you're saying to that friend, I care about you, aren't you? You're saying to that friend, I extend my family to you. I care about you, I love you, and you're welcome into my home for this supper. And it was the same way in the ancient Middle East and in Jewish culture. If you would sit down and eat a meal together, 
as you sat down and ate that meal together, the bond of friendship would be established all the more. And so Jesus took the Passover meal and he transformed it into the Lord's Supper that we would celebrate with one another tonight as families scattered across all of these different homes in central Nebraska. We would enjoy the communion supper together this evening. I'm going to invite Pastor Brian forward at this time, and Brian's going to lead us as we take communion as families, and uh, we will partake together in just a moment but before we sing and conclude our Good Friday worship service. Brian, would you come? Well, this is just a little bit different, isn't it? The Good Friday service that we all look forward to at the fairgrounds with all the other churches of faith celebrating together. The gathering of together now becomes a scattering of individual homes. And you may be sitting in your home by yourself. You may be sitting in home with one other friend. You may be sitting at home with you and your kids. I've asked some men to send some photos of their their Lord's table set up at home, and some had just one cup and a little piece of bread. Some had four cups. Some had three. You know, as I was looking through Luke chapter 22, you know, you, there's not many times when you see Jesus get excited, extremely excited. But in Luke chapter 22, when he was setting up the Passover supper, when he'd asked Peter and John to go get the, the room ready, and he entered into the room and they reclined at the table, it says in Luke 22, 14 and 15 and he said to them I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer the, the word I eagerly eagerly desired it was like Jesus says you know I want to I want to get away from all the big crowd I just want you and I at the table I just want I want my me and my guys at the table. I want my family at the table. I eagerly desire. It speaks of intimacy and it speaks of, of, uh, of just being able to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation. So tonight, yeah, it's going to be a little different. But it's an opportunity of intimacy. It's an opportunity of intimacy that you and Jesus can have. Your seat may be empty across the side, but don't look at it as empty. Look at it as Jesus joining you at that supper. And mothers, you may be trying to gather all your kids around and explain all this. And it's just going to feel all different, but this is a time. This is a time where you have the bread and you have the cup. And it says in Luke 22, 
And he says he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to do right now. This is an opportunity for you at home. Spend some time looking at that bread, remembering what Jesus' body that was given for each and every one of you, maybe just for yourself, maybe you and your kids, you as a family. So we're going to give you that time to take the bread, pass it amongst the family. Some of you may quietly want to pray, and some of you, one of you may want to lead in prayer. And after the prayer time's done, then you feel free to go ahead and take of the bread together. And then after a little bit, we'll come back and then we'll, I'll talk about the cup. Okay. they had passed the uh, bread and Jesus had given thanks he said in the same way he took the cup and this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you it's a new covenant something new happened that night Something exciting was coming down the path. That which was causing social distancing between mankind and God was going to be going to be reconciled coming up. It's going to be taken care of. Because Jesus' blood, the cup, 
the cup of suffering poured out on the cross, covering our sins that separated us from God. And when we take the cup tonight, may we remember that what Jesus drank of that cup, that full cup of God's punishment for our sin, he represented his blood that was poured out to cover us so there would be no more social distancing with God, that we could be one with God through Christ's blood. So you may take the cup, give thanks, share it with your family. And we'll come back and Matt will wrap it up with a great song of worship. So we may take the cup now.